Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this. It is, well, something completely different from the Egg Chasers. I'm JB, uh, released from my normal job at Beardmore Co. Independent Financial Advisors to experiment with a different type of content. Now, before we get into this, just remember we do do Egg Chasers. This will be on the Egg Chasers feed, so you know all about that. And if you've got even more spare time on even more excellent rugby content, go see Tim Cocker over on his YouTube show. However, what we're going to talk about today is the business of rugby. And to help me navigate these choppy waters, I'm with the guru of rugby business himself, Mark Evans, how are you, Mark? Uh, very unguru like, uh, <laughs> but uh, but other than that, other than that, very well indeed. Thank you. Now, of course, like all good gurus, you're on your on your island. Where where are you now? What have you been doing today? I am in Vitilevu, which is the main island of Fiji. I'm in the northwest near Nandi, uh, between Nandi and the airport, which is where I live. Uh, nine months of the year. And uh, what have I done today? Oh, I don't know. Um, gosh, in the water. Oh, a bit of, uh, yes, trying to, trying to finish off our 2025 list, player list, that is. Um, so nearly I, done with that. Just an interesting point there. You've called that a player list. And I like that because that's, that's more like Australian terminology. What you're saying is you're playing squad. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yes, I suppose I've been here uh, in other in other guises, and yeah, list management. That's what it comes from, which is, I think, probably a an American uh, phrase by um, by uh, origin, but it's sort of become shorthand for um, yeah, so, yeah, your squad management, and 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 in some cases, obviously not in Fiji at the moment, salary cap. We have more of a budget cap than yep. a salary cap, it must be said. Um, and, you know, how big your squad and um, do you have a self-imposed minimum wage, which we do. Um, so we have a uh, – and all those sorts of things. So we're, we're working, uh, myself and the general manager, who really run the list, uh, not the coaches. Mm. Um, they have an input, but – that's a separation of powers there, um, and uh, yeah, we're 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 putting the finishing touches to our twenty twenty five roster. There's another American expression. There we go. There we go. Well, I think there's plenty to get into on Fijian rugby franchises and lists shortly. But I think we're going to open up with this, which is there's been a story circulating quite widely at the moment. We all know that rugby's finances are not in the best place. 
And it feels like they might have a white knight of some sort in Saudi sovereign wealth money. Now, this is pretty contentious. I mean, I think it's contentious for everybody who's not a Newcastle United fan. Where do you stand on it, Mark? Um, in a in a in a probably in a rather uncomfortable position, I think. Um, the easy thing to do is, for somebody of a, a, a left lefty liberal progressive <laughs> such as myself, uh, a bit like you, JB, really, exactly course. like me. Um, exactly mirror image um is to get on your moral high horse and to cry it from the rooftops and i am i i I do think however there is something in there i think it's there's no doubt you look at the motivation of the saudi government sport plays a big part in what they are trying to do in what they call vision 2030 uh seven trillion dollar uh, project to um, diversify away from fossil fuels. Um, it's the sort of Dubai on steroids. I think it's quite a good way of thinking of it's it. It's very Although, much, that, isn't it? The difference being that Saudi has an awful lot of oil and Dubai had none. It was all next door in Abu Dhabi, their fellow Emirates. So the incentive for the Dubai royal family was was many many you know many years ago was much more. Um, much more direct, but sport, you know, you, this phrase sports washing is thrown about. Um, do you, and I, do you I actually know what sports a, washing is? Because I, I don't, I'm not even familiar with what the term is meant yeah, to represent. Yeah, it's, it's a sort of, it's a phrase used to describe what a lot of governments do, both mm. democratic and autocracies and monarchies, which is Saudi, of course. Um, whereby they use events, sporting and other, to burnish the uh, image of the country in on the global stage. Um, it's not that different from why do you want to host a Grand Prix or yes. why do cities bid for the Olympics? I mean, if you want an example, or sometimes... It's on a, It's like all these things. It's on a continuum. I mean, it goes from announcing yourself to the world. I mean, hen, you know, the Beijing Games were a, were a really good example of that mm. um, in two thousand and eight, wasn't it? It was like a, it was like a global coming out party. We've arrived as a major economic global power, and how better to announce your arrival than through the biggest show on earth? Um, is that sports washing or is that soft power? Um, well, mm, it's a good point, isn't it? I mean, I, there's also a third element of this as well, which is, I don't think this does apply to rugby, but it certainly does with the big sporting events. If you want a World Cup, if you want a global event, a truly global event, you have to have hosts that you find pretty abhorrent because it's a global event. It is not the Democratic Olympic uh, Olympic Games. It's not the Human Rights World Cup. It is the World Cup. So it either is or it isn't. Well, I mean, this is interesting, isn't it? Because um, Saudi, I think, are the only bidder for the 2034 Football World Cup. Yeah. I think I think I'm correct in saying that. And it looks like we're heading for another winter, European winter uh, World Cup in football. And it's all part of the, the same thing. I mean, most of Saudi money investment in sport is, is done through the same vehicle and it's 
to now being not entirely focused on football. Football has been the biggest, not just in Newcastle United, the, the amount mm-hmm. of money gone into the Saudi domestic league has been significant. Yeah. But WWE had done a 10-year deal with the Saudi government, as I understand it. Um, it's it's not it's not a con two things can be true at the same time can't they um uh i do think some of the changes in saudi arabia in recent years have been you know promising mm. on the same at the same token by western standards their human rights record is is pretty abhorrent um you know 81 Mass ex- in a mass execution in March 22, pretty recently, is difficult for many people to stomach. Um, mm. Where do you stand on this? Well, do you see Saudi Arabia as, you know, a long way from a democracy, but a bulwark against Islamism? You could argue that. Yeah. Um, it's a really, really difficult one. My problem with it is is actually, and I do have a problem with it, I have a, but it isn't quite so much the moral dilemma, although I do, I do understand that is the case, and I, I do share some of those concerns, but I don't think it'll fix it. You're <laughs> yeah, quite right. And I've said this many, many times, uh, yeah. and I will keep saying it, doesn't fix the model injecting another people are talking about 60 million i i saw i don't know if that's true, I have no idea but let's say it is just for argument's sake mm. that 60 million gets injected into four clubs for um you know 15 million a piece for a for an equity stake yeah presumably in clubs and therefore slightly different to the cvc deal which was a 28 percent linked to um, central revenues, largely broadcast, basically. When you invest in a individual clubs, um, it doesn't matter whether you're Saudi or whether you're American or whether you're from, um, you know, rural Northampton, like Keith, Keith Barwell was. Yeah. Um, you're not getting a claim on you're buying an a share or all of an individual business that is largely loss making yeah so there are unlikely to be any dividends or share in uh, or shares of income streams in the very short run so my question is this why is this any different than Nigel Ray pumping 60 million, which he has done, into Saracens. It's a great question, isn't it? it uh, is... In the sense that that didn't fix the model either. No, it didn't. Now, I, mean, I would argue... So I'm, I'm bemused, actually, about why you would do this until the model changed. Yeah, I mean, I would argue... I mean, the reason you do this, uh, you buy into rugby it can't be for money it simply can't be nigel ray said it simon orange has said it you don't get rich through buying into rugby in fact i had a very interesting conversation with simon orange and he said that the best thing he can do for his rugby club is continue to work in his other business because you know putting his 
mind and thought into running of sail sharks just isn't worth his time. I mean, not that's not the right way to say it. It's not that it's not worth his time, but it's his other businesses that will support sail sharks. That's the best thing that he can do do for rugby. So it's not to make mm-hmm. money. Now it may well. well I'll, I'll, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, sure, Chevy. I think you've got to be careful. You're not a bit Anglo-centric then. And I, and I know that this is Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabian possible money investing in in into the English Premiership. So, to a degree, I understand that. But you know, there are examples of people making money from rugby investments around the world. Oh, I, I mean, am... would you say for would you say, for example, and I think this is a really interesting question: Why are ye English clubs not French? Yeah, great. Uh, well, that is a good question. The, I would say the reason you'd look at English rugby is like well, it's not for making profit. But the one thing English rugby has, and it still has, is outsized cultural significance. So if you want to wheel the um, sorry, if you want to oil the wheels of commerce from a, from a Saudi po- point of view, having something which is regularly reported in on on the press. Now we were talking the other day actually that. You know, there's not much in the way of rugby reporting, as in the actual physical size of the journalism teams in each paper. But they are still there. They are still there. And it's a much smaller sport uh, than many others with a lot of participation, whether that be cycling or something else. And it gets daily coverage. So I think, actually, mm. in terms of what can rugby offer someone, it would be one of two things. It would be the ability, much like Saudis have racehorses now, to get people in to network and meet you know meet and you know all, all those sort of connection things or it's an outsized cultural influence because i think both of those are very valuable well if you if you if you take what a lot of the saudi ministers say at face value and sometimes you can in on certain topics i mean i'm not naive mm. um, but on certain topics i think you can they would one of the one of the certainly one of the Hoped for byproducts of this investment in sport is more people going to Saudi Arabia. Yes, quite. More people being interested, having some kind of link, and actually going and experiencing the country. Now, that's very interesting because um, that again is the Dubai model, isn't it? Yes, that, that is. You know, it, Dubai has become, I mean, frankly, you know, on a personal level, not my cup of tea. But I, I, so, so on a personal level, I love it. I absolutely yeah, well, are, love it. See, you're a, you're a, yes, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> this is so, and you're probably not surprised that I'm slightly, yeah. you know. I, I am. Look, um, when it comes to these things, I'm a pure hedonist. I love Dubai. And I think uh-huh, just looking at uh-huh. the Saudi thing, the underlying you know the underlying thing which will get people to go and visit a country which isn't currently very much fun like saudi is is to make it fun and i think dubai has done that wonderfully it is good fun events 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 because let's be fair the i mean we're going to get very very in the weeds now i apologize pull me back if i look like i'm going to get marooned um you also have to understand saudi arabia is not the emirates and the influence of the wahhabi uh, strain of Islam in Saudi Arabia is much, much more significant. It's it much more conservative, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which the optimists would say 
And that's why they're doing this. One of the reasons they're doing the sport thing to liberalize a very, very conservative civic society. I don't know. That's why I'm not absolutely screaming up and down and saying, no, this is terrible. This is awful. I can't. You know, I, I don't know if that's true or not. But you know, some of the events that are planned, boxing looks like it's about to have some quite major events in Saudi Arabia. I think UFC WWE has. Definitely will. Yeah, definitely will. Um, football, you know, I don't know. Look at the Chinese experience of trying to establish a national football league. It has been with billions and billions of uh, of, of uh, dollars. It's been a disaster. Yeah, it's not easy. It doesn't necessarily mean that it'll be successful. So, I, 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 I like I said, I I'm very I'm very cautious about it because I didn't quite finish my main point, which is typical of me. Um, we've pumped an awful lot of money into the Premiership and it hasn't fixed it. Yes. Why do we suddenly think more money from a different nation will fix it? And I'm very, very dubious. If we don't change a whole lot of other things about the Premiership, it'll just be... And you think you've heard me say this a number of times. I certainly have written it a number of times. You know, increasing revenue over time has not been the premiership's problem. <laughs> now, it, to quote you on this, done a pretty good yeah. job now, of it. Now, to quote you on this, one of my favorite one of my favorite stories is when you told me when you um, we were we were recounting a meeting with some of the other uh, with the, some of the other premiership hierarchy. And they claimed if only we had a, a million pound a year, we would be sustainable. 1999, Tom Walkinshaw, <laughs> uh, round the board table, everybody agreed that if only you get one million pounds of central funding, we'd all be profitable within two years. Those were the days. <laughs> eh? uh, there you go. How did that work out? So Yeah, well... So just on the, I mean, we don't really want to go into changing of the governance too much because I think that is a whole podcast in in that, of itself. Completely different. Yeah. Can of worms. But I do tend to agree with you there. I mean, it it depends on the it depends on the investment of the Saudi money, I guess, and how sustainable that, that is. And it does feel like a Saudi sovereign wealth fund is less susceptible to investor fatigue than, say, the local carpet warehouse owner. Question about that. No question. But there is one other problem, which I'm not sure can be resolved, which is more of a sporting integrity issue. Oh, go if on. four clubs are going to be have significant shareholders from the same sovereign wealth fund, I think we might have a problem. I tend to agree with that. Sporting integrity. You know, you can't. For, I mean, this is, do you remember? You, maybe you don't. Um but do you remember when, now who was it? Was it Altrad came and wanted to buy a slice Gloucester. of Gloucester? Yeah, he's already got Montpellier, hasn't he? And he, I think he has his name on the French shirts. And the All Black shirts. Oh, now, that's the one, um, yeah. And, and no, both. All Blacks and France. Okay. Um, and it was ruled that that was a conflict of interest and that obviously... The worry, therefore, is if this goes in football, goes all the way back to Robert Maxwell, Derby County. No, was it Derby County and Oxford United? I think back. I'm, I'm Crikey. 
you know, back in the day. And he, you know, the uh, has turned out the pension raiding Robert Maxwell. Yep. Um, ended up t- was was trying to basically own two football clubs, and it was when it was pointed out that perhaps this might be a problem if they were drawn against each other in the FA Cup, with all the kinds of sort of possibilities of match fixing and etc. 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 There are reasons why you can't own more than one team in a competition, and they're very good reasons. I think, I think I'd think let Saudis own all of the clubs, but I don't think I'd let them own four clubs. Well, why interesting, isn't it? CBC went to buy the league, which, whatever your views on CBC and... and, and Did my they really? Team, what, like, as in the whole league? Well, you buy, you are, but you're not buying them. I mean, they don't own a slice of... Um, the 12 clubs, do they? They own, they have a claim on the central. Yeah. Central, I mean, the way um, I look at that is it's a very clever type of derivative in a way. You know, you get equity like returns and uh, bond like security. Well, you, you, I mean, the I'm not sure they felt like that when Wasps and Worcester and um, Jersey and uh, <laughs> London Irish went under because, I mean, that was always the big risk when you involve you 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 are hedging your risk but when you are buying into a league mm. you are taking on the risk of they always used to say the league's the strongest it's weakest link yeah and yeah that's that's probably true but i still think whatever you think about the cbc deal and that's another podcast um i i do i do understand why they bought into the league as opposed to individual clubs Absolutely, as well as the integrity. The integrity issue is, is a problem yeah. anyway. So maybe it was partly that. The reason you don't want a club but, is you don't want the expenses. Simple as that. That's why it's so well, clever. You don't want you don't want exposure to the cost risk, no. of course. So why would the Saudis, who are not, you know, they're not unsophisticated investors, are they? I expect they probably think, well, would the clubs give away another slice of central revenue? Almost certainly not. One would hope. Yep. Um, so why don't they, you know, South Africa's still up for grabs. I think. Um, that CBC deal hasn't gone through. Um, the French are very anti-private equity. It's really interesting. They call it Anglo-Saxon finance. They might, and yeah. They're not, they're not big fans. And, I, I, and I, bet they, I bet they say that with a derogatory tone as well. Well, I think it depends on which part of the country, but you know, whatever. But just on I that, know. I think um, I think the reason for that is dead is dead simple. The CVC deal is a, I mean, CVC plough a lot of money into getting very clever people to come up with um, innovative schemes. It didn't have to be rugby; it could be anything. It could have been, you know, the uplift on the value of land. It could have been. Uh, carbon credits it could have been absolutely anything that's what they pay these guys to do they pay out uh, they pay them to go and invent clever things and they just saw a distress sport and they need a certain amount of money for their hurdle rate in the series seven fund and that's what and that's what they did they have no interest in in rugby whatsoever whereas the saudis do it wasn't their first sports investment and you know pe in sport at the moment not just in rugby and not just in the uk is undoubtedly a growing market there's there's, they, it, we are digressing yeah. a little bit, I suppose, but you know, it's interesting. I think I read the other day that the NFL, for the first time, are going to allow private inv- equity investment. That's crazy. So, so let's 
you know, let's let's look a little bit broader here and say, look, it's interesting. Some people turn it down. Australian rugby for many, many months, years, we're talking about private investment, private equity investment. And in the end, either because they couldn't find anyone or they couldn't find anyone who would offer them what they felt to be reasonable terms, they went down the debt path rather than the private equity path. Now, as I understand it, the interest rate on that debt is pretty challenging. Goodness. Um, so we'll see how that ends up. But, um, yeah, it's it, it, the private equity is a real thing in most sports around the world now. They, they, it's on it's up for consideration. Let's let's put it that way. And um, and that's just the way it is. Now, just taking this Saudi money conversation in a slightly different direction. I'd love to know your, mm. your view on this. The attitude towards this um, in the media and you know on things online platforms such as Twitter is overwhelmingly negative. Do you see this as just another way of rugby being so moralistic it just shoots itself in the foot? Because in my mind, no. I, I, I you think it is, don't you? Absolutely. You're, is, it, is this going to be one of your, you know, the values of rugby aren't worth the paper they're not written on? It's not even that. I just think the sheer hypocrisy of it. You know, you've got to you've got to turn on the lights. You've got to use your um, plastic gizmos. You know, we use oil products in basically everything that we do. And the argument against Saudi oil money would be, well, you know, we don't want them, we don't want to use dirty oil profits whilst every day using all the things which create them a profit. And if you were to believe what Vision 2030 is, it's to do exactly what we want them to do, if you do want them to do that, which is decarbonize. They want to yeah, get I, away from oil. I think the human rights record rather than the fossil fuel argument, although I do accept there may be some overlap between mm. the critics of both. Um, but I do feel I'm. It's, it's, it does, it should and does make you stop and pause. Mm. But it should make you stop and pause and then do some reading and try and make a balanced judgment rather than simply dismissing it out of court. There yeah. are, uh, you know, because it's it. Where do you? Well, you do have to draw the line somewhere. I think that's it's a question of where. I mean, what would you say to North Korea? Yeah, how, how, how much are they paying me? Is that okay? I mean, well, do it's you know, likely, but but in, in, in purely as, as a as a theoretical argument, is is that okay? And or would you say that? Um, yeah, it's highly unlikely, and I'm, I'm probably overstating. I'm probably an Iranian club going a little bit too far. Well, well no, I think I think I've got, I'm quite hopeful for Albania. I think. So sorry, sorry, um, Iranian. Well, there we are. There's an interesting one. Would yeah. there be a different? Both oil nations. Yeah. The, the big Sunni power, the big Shia power. One a monarchy, one a theocracy. Yeah. Do you draw the line somewhere between those? I don't know. It, it, I don't. And I do read a fair bit about the sort of Middle East and history well, and all the rest of it. And, and it, it's, it's quite difficult. You can, it's quite easy to be pure as the driven snow when actually you're not going to make the decision, I've always found. I um, totally agree with that. Do you know the word? So, sorry, sorry, Mark. I don't know. I, I, I'm, it does, I mean, probably done it, we probably sort of 
examine this from a few angles now. It does worry me from a sort of a, a human rights angle. It does. Um, I think I think from a, my personal view is it would come down to whether I genuinely felt warts and all the current Saudi regime were genuinely trying to move in the right direction. Do you know I think that's where I probably draw the line? There are there are some regimes around the world where I think sanctions and a refusal to um, trade is an appropriate response. And this is an example of trade. It's capital flows. That's, mm. that's what it is. The one deal which would really call, um, make me stop and think would be the MBA's experience with China. I think this is one which is really important. And obviously China's human rights record is abysmal. Um, I don't know how it actually compares to Saudi Arabia's, although I imagine it is comparable. But the thing which really got me about that deal was the basically the attack on press freedoms. And I think that's actually a far more interesting point because the NBA had a situation where they weren't allowed to criticise anything Chinese. And I guess that does link, link, link in. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Into the um, link into the human rights stuff because you have this league that wants to talk in the same way that premiership rugby does about all these social issues and then china would say no absolutely not and you certainly can't mention anything about chinese issues so they're happy to the nba would be happy to attack american culture but they'd have nothing to say about um you know Uyghur muslims they'd have nothing to say and it just causes so much friction in that domestic market that hang on you are making your money here you're willing to attack us for you know, all of these different things, yet you're not willing to say a thing to your big e- um, economic backer. And I think that's a real danger. Well, I think if any, you look outside sport. I mean, there are any number of uh, large global companies that have adjusted, shall we say, very to much so. the requirements you have to make to trade on any kind of scale with, with China. Yeah. Um, and you've only got to look at... The um, I mean, Google are a, a good example. I, I've lost track of it, whether they've now withdrawn or whether they're still whatever. But they were that that was look, these things are complicated and nuanced and they pose moral quandaries. And rugby has to wrestle with them like everybody else. So Saudi Arabia offer you a check for what, what, what did we say? 60 million, say one quarter of that for Fiji Dura. What, what are you going to say? Uh, I 
I'd go to, I, I'd, I'd take a, um, I'd recommend that we passed, but it would be my board's decision. <laughs> Very good. Talking of Fiji Jura, I think we might just move, yeah. uh, move on to that. So, Seamless. See that? See what you did there? That's a that's a segue, isn't it? It that's is a segue. I do. I learned that from. Uh, <laughs> I learned that from Tim Cocker. You learned that from Tim Cocker, didn't you? I did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, learned from the best. Um, right. So, um, Fiji Drew. The interesting part of this for me, I mean, despite the fact it's in Fiji and that in of itself is interesting, is effectively you've established a brand new franchise. Now, we've seen franchises established. I can't think of many which have been successful outside of the original round. So what I mean by that is, if we look at Australia, would their expansion franchises be successful? Probably not. South Africa, probably not the strongest. Certainly pro um, pro rugby, Celtic League, you've seen Borders come and go, you've seen Aroni come and go. Um, we've seen lots of franchises come and go. So when you were offered this job, what did you think that the main issues were of starting a franchise but then keeping a franchise. Okay. Well, I should point out that I didn't start the franchise. It had been going, it had had one season before I got there. Yeah. So credit should go to people like Brian Thorburn and Peter Horn and those you know people who were there well before I was. And it took, I'm told, and there's a book coming out, by the way. Is there? By me. But yes, there will be. It'll be another year or so um, about the whole birth of the Drua thing. And um, it was a long time in gestation. It mm. really took a lot. And people had talked about a, a team on Fiji, oh, gosh, 20, 25 years. And it had always felt, it had always been said that it, it was just not economically viable. The market was too small um, and that you just couldn't make the sums add up. Um, and I... I'll be honest, I, I sort of bought that for, for many years. I, I found it very difficult to see how you would get enough revenue to cover some pretty big costs, partly because of location. The travel costs are enormous. Um, accommodation's pretty expensive. Broadcast was, um, you know, producing a international standard broadcast in, in a competition where that's absolutely... Um, non-negotiable um were, were really challenging so what happened and 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 i don't think you can replicate this necessarily but it's interesting is that you you've basically got a, a load of funding partners in place that between them were able to create some base capital that that you thought well all right if that's all in place the operational bit might be able to generate enough to make the thing work. So to, to not be too sort of long-winded about it, um, the, the World Rugby put money in, um, the Australian government put money in. What, why, why, would the Australian, why would Australian, the Australian government do that? For the same reason that Saudi Arabia want to invest in sport. It's mm. a form of soft power in oh, a critical wow. geopolitical region. Well, well, and well. to be fair, if being being less cynical, did that sound a bit cynical? It, it wasn't meant to. Um, I, I think it makes a awful lot of sense from an Australian point of view. You know, the, 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 the South Pacific is geopolitically more and more important. 
with the expansion of the Chinese into the South China Sea. Mm. Um, and if you want to win hearts and minds in many of the Pacific islands, rugby union is a very, very good way to do it. Well, there and you at go. the same time, don't forget, both Australia and New Zealand have a quite significant diaspora of Pacifica people. That is true. Now in Australia and New Zealand. So uh, Fijians actually not as much as Samoans and Tongans. Um, Fiji is a bigger island. It's got a million people. It's twice as big, or four times as big as Samoa and 10 times as big as Tonga. Um population-wise, so there are more opportunities in Fiji. Yeah. So, um, but nevertheless, Australian government, New Zealand rugby, to give them their credit, to give them credit, um, they are uh, very much, they are, the because I do make distinction, New Zealand rugby, Australian government, we get no money from Rugby Australia, we get no money from the New Zealand government. It's an interesting. Uh, okay, yeah, dynamic. yeah. But New Zealand rugby genuinely felt a debt to the Pacific nations. I don't think it's virtue signalling or they're just saying it. I genuinely feel they felt it was some to to help fund Fiji and a a Moana Pacifica. Um, I might talk about them later. Um, they they were prepared to put some of their broadcast money towards it. So. Um, so they should take a lot of credit for that. Now, once you got those three committed, and then the Fiji government came in and didn't provide funding, but provided startup capital. And okay. because of the way the drill went, that was a very good job they did, because otherwise I think we wouldn't have got through the first year. So the Fiji government are the 51% shareholder, and Fiji Rugby Union are the 49% minority shareholder. And... Fiji government put in some startup capital, which all all startups have to have. Yep. You can't you can't you can't create a startup into an established competition without some startup capital because you're going to lose money early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once that was in place, then it was really a question of right. Well, okay. Well, who are we going to get in? How are we going to run it? Where are we going to get the players from? Where are we going to play? How are we going to do the broadcast? All these million and one things that you need to put together by whenever the first day is. And what about and, the, and what about the facilities? I mean, I don't imagine that Fiji struggles for rugby facilities, but I guess you need a a pretty good home base, a training ground. Sorry, you wouldn't imagine it does, or you would. Or you would I would. I, I wouldn't imagine it does. I imagine there's plenty of fields oh, yeah, and yeah, gyms you, and whatnot. I'm going to say you've never been to Fiji. No, never. But I, I just imagine that, like you know, there are plenty of rugby yeah. fields. Yeah, no, no. Facilities are a big issue. Are they? It's a poor country. It's a poor country. Well, yeah, it's but a really poor. I mean, poor yeah, countries but, don't tend. Yeah, but, don't tend. To, I mean, I understand if you'd struggled for a rugby field in Manhattan, and that, and, that, and that's very rich. So it doesn't necessarily. Mm. Um, chime with me that just because it's poor doesn't have the land available or the pitches available uh, you know, you, you've made the point no. to me in the past which i really like that rugby tends to pro- proliferate where it's less built up you know like gloucester yeah and and fiji is rugby mad everybody plays everybody supports but the facilities are pretty rudimentary in most areas most village kids play on a plowed up a little more than a plowed up field or a beach Really? To be honest. Yeah, apparently um, it would be no fun. So, to come back to the franchise setup, yeah. um, 
So then it was a question of right, okay, we've got we've got some income committed for a certain amount of time. We've got some startup capital. Right now, we need some players, and and then we need to know where we're going to play and how many grants will we play in and have we got a stadium deal? No, of course we haven't, so we're going to get one. And how are we going to broadcast it? And it's incredibly expensive to bring, fly everybody in from Australia and New Zealand, but we haven't got any cameras of broadcast, international broadcast quality in the country. Of course not. Um, so, so there's all this stuff that you've got to try. And we haven't got a training ground and we haven't got a training pitch and we haven't got, you know, we, we haven't got anything. We're at that that the, the key's in the name, startup. So by the time I got there, they'd, oh, and then COVID hit. Mm. And so, yeah, I've said this many times. I said this in interviews a few times today, but I'll repeat myself. Um, when COVID hit, plans were very advanced. And they faced a decision, which is, if you want to play this year, which was the 2022 season, you're going to have to relocate to Australia and play out of there. Because there's borders, no borders. Right. Sort of no no crossing the borders. Or something of that, whatever it was. Mm. I wasn't around. I wasn't there. But, you know. So they, and if they'd, if they'd gone with their head, they'd have said, actually, we're okay, thanks. We'll wait a year until the borders open and we can play in Fiji because the whole point of this startup is to have the team on the island. Um, but they've been waiting 25 years for this. And they were, uh, I think, underneath it all, frightened that the opportunity might be taken away again. Yeah, I can completely see that. So so they took a big, deep breath and jumped off a cliff, and it nearly nearly stymied them, if I'm looking back, because they played however many games it was in Australia. Nobody came to watch. They had no broadcast revenue. The cost space was enormous. And you pretty much chewed through the startup capital in the first six months. Yeah, I can't see any. Yeah, so I. So, however, 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 at the end of that first season, for the last two inverted commas home games, they borders were lifted and they were played in Fiji, and the crowds were really strong, and the enthusiasm was really strong, and merch sales were really strong. Highest-selling Super League jersey by a long haul. Um, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We shipped 11, 12, 13,000 jerseys a season. That's a lot for a rugby club. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. We, we do, first three seasons, we've averaged about 12,000 jerseys. Crazy. Um, so, you know, you, you walk around Fiji, everyone's in Drua. Everyone's in Drua again. So, uh, yeah. just on your players, I'm just thinking now, Melbourne Rebels, uh, as an example. Yeah. I'm sure there are a couple of lads who grew up in Melbourne who were mm. delighted to play for the Melbourne Rebels. Uh, you know, it was always mm. their dream to play for a Melbourne team, but not really. You know, So they went and got like Danny Cipriani and Gareth Delve and some others, I guess. I mean, maybe my timeline's slightly off there, but that's what they did. Mm. I imagine that it was incredibly exciting 
for Fijian rugby players to have a team on Fiji. And just a follow-up question to that, when you were selecting players, did you have a certain type of player in mind? Was it people that had grown up on the island who were young and making their way, or was it getting the experience well, players again, back? Well, again, I wasn't there at the, for, the, for the selection of the first squad, although obviously there's not that many left from the fir- very first iteration in 22. You know, rugby clubs, rugby teams churn quite quickly. Mm. Um, but... Look, they had to pick from players who were on the island because nobody was allowed in or out. So it started, but and also we have self-imposed because it's the nature of the franchise. We call it the project, and um, which is slightly pretentious, but we like it. I like um, it. And the project has a number of things that are over and above rugby. Okay, so you should dislike this. I do already. Um, <laughs> I don't think you will. Um, so. We're there to, um, first of all, we're there to provide a different on-island pathway for Fijian rugby players. Okay. So you don't have to leave the island to be a professional player. That That's sounds completely change. reasonable. That's a big change. We're there to bring economic benefit to the island with visitor numbers and tour- sports tourism and all the rest of it. We are there to make the country proud. Mm-hmm. We're there to support the national team in its World Cup campaigns particularly and to provide a greater degree of cohesion because more players playing in one team who then transfer, not all of them, but a significant number into the national team must be helpful of performance. It's not, um, it's a model you'll see around the world now. Chile has a very similar model. Um, Georgia with Black Lion has a very similar model. Uh, Portugal with, um, Oh, gosh, I've forgotten their franchise team. I do apologise to my friends in Lisbon. Um, they have the same model. The, the Netherlands with Delta have the same model. It's uh. a decent model whereby you say, right, we're not a big country. Either we're not a big economic country, Fiji, mm-hmm. or we're not a big rugby country, Netherlands. Yeah. The franchise, one team, concentrate your talent, get a high-performance culture, create something that you a, a play at a higher level. That's the hard bit in certain parts of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, the hard bit for us is to do that. We have to fly four hours minimum. You know, yeah. so, so it's challenging. Um, but it does appear, and have got to give World Rugby a lot of credit here. It's their model. They've driven it with a good deal of success in a number of markets. And I suppose us and Black Lion are their poster child. Uh, yeah, black line. Um, they put money impressive. in. They've stuck with it. You know, they've been investing in Fiji for quite a long time. Um, they've taken quite a bit of hit from other countries, saying you're giving too much to Fiji, you're giving too much to Georgia. To which their reply has always been, "We don't want to be a mile wide and an inch deep. Yeah. We want to invest for a period of time so that we can drive these countries." up to be competitive at World Cups. And one of the ways you do that, one of the ways you do that, is to get your franchise team more competitive. And we are the franchise team. Um, <clears throat> we're very independent. That was the other thing. Fiji has suffered over the years from a whole load of um, governance issues. So we have an independent board. Even though we're owned by the government and um, the union, they've signed pretty strong non-interference clauses in legal agreements. That's part of setting up a. That's another thing. If you're setting up a franchise, and you know to protect to 
create the right governance structure. It sounds really, really dull, but it's incredibly important. Yeah, it's only been yeah. done that at the Premiership 25, 27 years ago. We'd be in a very different place. So you... Um, um... You started this by saying these are things that you're not going to like. These are all things that I absolutely love. These all make a lot of sense because they're all rugby-related well, goals. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that I can buy you into a purpose-driven mm. organisation. Well, even surprisingly, Mark, I, I think you've actually missed. I, I think you've actually missed one. Oh, I didn't give you all of them, but it would go but on like, and on and on and on and on. But like one of the it's, obvious well, ones, for example, sorry, one of the Go big on. ones is we want to give job opportunities to native Fijians in the front, the back, and the playing department of the organization. Yeah. Well I mean so so we 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 do we do want to in a relatively short period of time get the whole thing run by people from Fiji. Yeah. I mean it's a true economic development project, isn't it? And there's nothing wrong with it that. Is. I mean, the and one of the things, development, yeah. and you know, and we want players to earn decent money. And no, we'll never. I don't think. I think we're realistic. We'll never match the salaries in Japan and France. Mm. But I think, given another, I don't know, given another five years, and I think we'll we'll be able to match once you take the lower tax rate and cost of living at, into the equation. I don't think there'll be any monetary reason why the GM player should go to Australia or New Zealand. The other, uh, well, the thing I was going to say uh, about the the Drew project is, from an economic development point, point point of view, it's bringing skills into the country. You see this a lot with like defence contractors, which is they mm. want to win the work because then they have an indigenous skill. Now it's not quite the same level, but it's things like you said. There weren't cameras on the island. Well, there are now. No. There aren't people that. Broadcast a great example. Yeah. And you know, tell me to shut up because I can prattle on about this. I love it so much for hours. Um, but in the first two home games before I arrived, um, they were such a rush, they had to import everybody to do it. And yeah. it cost them, there were 24 expats flown in, accommodated, Frikey. God knows how much equipment. And if you'd had to do it for the whole season, it would have cost you something like two million. Yeah. Fijian dollars, right? Which is a lot of money for us. Next year, not this year, this year we're down to six. But next year, there won't be a single expat. That's amazing. On that is genuinely amazing. It will all be done by the the brought by the Fijian broadcast company, who, to their credit, have invested several million Fijian dollars themselves in equipping, new cameras, training, etc., etc., etc. But now you've got capability on the island of producing international sports broadcasts to a level that's acceptable in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. And I think that is, that's, that's something. That, it, that you're really. absolutely right on that. Yeah, love that. Um, you got me sidetracked now because I had another question for you. Yeah, merchandising. And I, we'll, we'll leave it. <laughs> We'll leave it after um, after this one because we covered a lot of ground and we said forty minutes to an hour and I think we've probably exceeded an hour now. Um, Nearly, not quite. We're not quite there. Well, we will be after this, I imagine. Yes, okay. Merchandising, yeah. like it's such yeah. a unique proposition what you have there. Yeah. Um, it strikes me that merchandising will not just be something on the island, but something which you'll be exporting to well everyone because that Fijian brand is so strong and the style of well. 
style of play. That's not entirely true, is it? The perceived style, yeah, of, the, more, yeah, the perceived more, style of play is so strong. Yeah. I can see yeah. that being a very, very popular thing to people in ev- in every rugby playing nation to wear that kit. Well, we hope so. Um, at the moment, you know, most of the stuff we do is aimed at Fiji. Um, we have a, a big distribution arm with our partners at Jack's, who are one of the big stores here. Um, we have a shop in the big tourist port of Denarau, uh, which does good business. Um, but really, merchandise is a function of your fan base on the whole. Yeah, some people buy it because they like the design or they think it's a it's a cool piece of gear. Mm. Uh, but most people buy it because they're your they're, it's their team. Um, um, well, my children say the Druid kit goes down a wow in the um, five-a-side pictures of East London, but uh, I haven't actually seen that myself. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, we it, it's it's the fan base. I mean, our television audience is enormous. I think we, we think about one in two of the population watch the game live on free-to-air, um, which is an extraordinary stat. So if that was happening in Britain, that'd be 32 million people watching <laughs> it. Um, That's amazing. So 50% whatever. And I don't think there's a country in the world that has that level of TV penetration, albeit, as we know, into a very small market. Yeah. Don't forget, a lot of our fans will never get to see us live because they live on one of the outer islands. It's too far. It's too expensive. They'll never, ever come. They'll never be. So it's really important we're on free to air. You know, it's, again, part of the project. You can't claim to be the nation's team and then hide behind a paywall, particularly in a poor country like Fiji. Do you have an online offering too? So can you stream the matches? uh, Yeah, you can. But to be fair, most people watch us on their phone. Yep. Data's really cheap here. um, And a lot of people don't have uh, the internet on their – they don't have smartphones. They have – they they. They use their data to, to download and watch it live. Ah. Um, so merchandise is really a function of that, if I'm honest. Um, and people just seem to – I mean, that's the other thing I suppose I should say. It's, it's not like lots of other markets. One of the first things that I came here I couldn't get over was you'd wander around one of the towns, which, you know, are, are you know, interesting – and people are wearing rugby gear. You know, you're, I'm, I'm looking at the rugby dungeon there on the on yep. Zoom with all your rugby. Very nice. I love to get the Etihad, Quinn's Etihad shirt. Oh, that, was, that was a classic. That was an absolute classic. It was a nice shirt. Um, it is a nice first shirt. Ever sports, first ever sports sponsored by Etihad Airways in the UK, before Chelsea, before Man City. Um, we were very proud of that one. There you go. Um, and uh, they wear rugby shirts. That's yep. what they wear. Just, just uh, you, you, you wander around. You'll see NRL shirts, Premiership shirts, top fourteen shirts, all black shirts, Super Rugby shirts, and a pile of Drua shirts. But it, it, they it. Look, the business of sport is all about audience. It's the size and the income of the people who follow your game, and that's why. Even though there's only a million people who live in the Fiji Islands, it's the number one sport by such a long way. Yeah. That that's just about big enough. And we come right back to the beginning when you asked about the startup. 
there's just about enough people and there's just about enough large businesses to generate enough revenue to be a competitive team in this market. And there's enough talent on the island to get a team that, you know, is, is pretty talented. And my final point is this about a startup franchise. Like all startup franchises, you've got to have a dream and you've got to have a vision and you've got to have an aim, an overarching, what are you trying to be and what are you trying to do? And, yeah, we have all these project stuff about opportunity and making the nation proud. And we, we, we believe it. We do. We, we live it and we believe it. But the other one is we want to win it. Yeah. We want to win, win in five years. And that is our that is stated in our strategic plan that we want to win Super Rugby within – this is year one now. I sound like Steve Diamond. Steve Diamond does. But we wanna, year zero. We want to win. We want to win – Super Rugby Pacific within five years. Crikey. Crikey. That, that would be quite something. Well, I think you put a lot of bits of the puzzle together there, Mark. I thought that was absolutely, absolutely fascinating. So, I think what we're going to do there, going to do now is leave it there. Uh, I would politely ask that if you've enjoyed this and you've listened along with us to the very end, send us your feedback. Contact Eggchase contact eggchasers at gmail.com we've still not really decided on a name for this we've had, we've had, we've had some cracking um, suggestions though Mark Agonomics would be one um, I'm trying to think I of like one. that one do I you? I quite like that Ag- Agonomics yeah I uh, we'll, yeah, we'll think I of do. it uh, and we'll do a few right. a few more on the Egg Chasers feed before we move on to our, our own feed I, I think but yeah that was absolutely fascinating and we'll probably reconvene in yeah in a month's time do, do it monthly. We'll have played a couple of games by, by then, and I can update you. But it's and you'll be stressed. Be, I, tell, I should tell to our listeners, this is not going to be the Fijian Drewer show, right? Okay, that was just, it just so happened, talk about a startup. Well, all right, we'll do the Drewer thing, but it's not, it's not, I promise, it's not going to be weekly Drewer nausing stuff. I well, really when you are, when our listeners are flooding us with emails, which undoubtedly they will do, they can give us suggestions for things that they want us to talk about because there is so much to talk about in the world of rugby and business. It's frightening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 